The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. We are in our last week over Jonah and excited but sad. So Jonah's been an awesome book. Excited. We're going to go into 1 John next week, so that's going to be really good, really substantial. So, But as we go into Jonah, as we close our time together, I want to remind us that we approached the book of Jonah with three things in mind that we were hoping to learn as a church from the book of Jonah. Three kind of big themes that we see throughout the book consistently. The first one is that we wanted to highlight the difference between religion and the gospel. Uh, there is a massive difference between religion and the gospel. And the book of Jonah puts this on display. Uh, religion is man's pursuit of God, man attempting to earn or perform in order to get God's favor or love or rewards. And the gospel is the good news of God's grace, of God's pursuit of humanity. And that there's a massive difference between religion and the gospel. And uh, our culture gets that confused often. Uh, you ask, ask a ton of, you know, different non-Christians and they'll tell you that what it means to be a Christian is it means to live a good moral life. And, uh, and that's not exactly what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is it means that you've been forgiven and God's grace has fallen upon you. And because of that, that changes you to live a good moral life. One is that I must perform in order to be loved. The other one is I am loved, therefore it changes how I behave and perform. And the difference is radical and it is fundamental in what marks Christianity, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the book of Jonah shows us this very clearly. The second thing that we learn is that we look at Jonah because it, Jonah gives us a clear description of what sin is and what grace is. It gives us, it puts this on display over and over and over again. Sin is running away from God and grace is God's pursuit of us. And we see this all throughout. I mean, so just a quick recap of Jonah. Jonah 1, God calls Jonah and says, go and preach to Nineveh and go tell them that unless they repent, unless they turn, that they're going to be overthrown, they're going to be destroyed. And, and, uh, and Jonah says, no, <laughs> I've, got, I've got another plan. How about I don't do that? And so Jonah, once again, marked by sin, runs away from God. And, uh, and it's not like he just ignores the voice of God. He actively, physically runs away. And he goes as far away from God as he can possibly get, thinking that he's escaped God. Grace, God pursues Jonah. God brings discipline into Jonah's life. God brings a storm that affects the sailors. And, and Jonah's sin is, becomes apparent in his running away from God. And then God appoints a fish to swallow Jonah. So it's, it's God's grace, but God's grace comes in the form of his discipline because he won't let Jonah get away with his sin. He won't let him languish in this place of, of I don't care about you, God, I'm gonna run away from you. Instead, God's grace pursues him and brings him to this point where he realizes I can't escape the Lord. Jonah chapter two, Jonah's in the belly of a fish and realizes that he can't run away from God. 
that God is going to chase him down. And you see this, this semi-repentant heart in Jonah. You see, he's kind of sorry for, you know, that he's offending God, but really he just wants out of the situation. I mean, wouldn't you? It's, uh, it's smelly, it's dark, you're claustrophobic, sitting in the belly of a fish, you know? He wants out. And so, but, but God, God's grace, God knows Jonah's heart. God knows where he's at. And God still allows the fish to go and spit him up onto dry land in Nineveh. Jonah chapter 3. Second chances. God speaks to Jonah a second time, telling him the same command. Right? And aren't we thankful for that? That God doesn't give up? That God's faithful to teach us the same lesson if we don't learn it the first time? Now, after you know, time 8, 9, and 10, we're kind of like, all right, maybe we should learn quicker, but God is gracious to teach us. And so God, God shows grace to Jonah in, in giving him another opportunity. And we see sin. Jonah obeys, but he obeys reluctantly. And so we see that sin isn't simply complying to God's commands, right? That it's not, it, that it's not just, I'm going to obey. Sin is found in our heart's attitude towards our, our obedience to God. Is that Jonah obeys, but in, inwardly he is reluctant and he is frustrated. You see that he only goes and does a third of the work that he was called to do before he's like, all right, I'm done. And now we pick up in Jonah chapter four and we see once again, Jonah's heart and his desire for Nineveh's destruction. And we see yet again, God's grace in pursuing Nineveh and pursuing Jonah at the same time. And so I hope you see that the book of Jonah gives us these concrete examples of what it looks like to run away from God and God's active pursuit of us, that he is gracious and he pursues us and hunts us down. And then the third thing that, that, we have learned and that we've seen in the book of Jonah is God's love for a city that is rebellious and, and broken. Is that Nineveh was the capital of Assyria and it was horrendous. It was evil on any scale that you want to judge it on. It was evil. And yet you see God's passionate pursuit of this city with these people. And for us, that, that, that should be our heart as we look at St. Pete. We look at the city that we have hundreds of thousands of people that celebrate things that God, that break God's heart. We live in a city that is actively rebelling against God, but yet we see God's heart, that God loves this great city of St. Pete. That God desires that it would be drawn back to him that it would know who he is and his love and his grace. And this is our theme, right? We just talked about this announcement, bless is that this is our theme. But here's the thing. If, if our heart isn't moved by the mission of God, then this is just another acronym, you know, that we can spit off, that our heart has to be engaged with the mission of God if, this, if these missional practices are to help us. And so those are the three things, the three big, broad ideas that hopefully we have learned from Jonah that we're going to see again as we jump into chapter 4. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them. We're going to be, and I'm going to read verse 10 uh, of Jonah chapter 3, and then we're going to read um, chapter 4 of Jonah. 3 verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, speaking of Nineveh, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. 4 verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this why I said when I was yet in my country, uh, 
is, is this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade for his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be, uh, to be angry for the plant? And here's what happens when you argue with God. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plants for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. God always gets the last word. So big idea that's going to guide us in our time is this. God is radically gracious. God is radically gracious that we are called to share his heart and pursuit. God is radically gracious. We are called to share his heart and his pursuit. So three things that we're going to learn is that grace offends our sense of justice. Grace offends our sense of justice. Grace reveals our sinful hypocrisy. Grace reveals our sinful hypocrisy. And last, grace displays God's heart of compassion. Grace reveals God's heart of compassion. So first, grace offends our sense of justice. So grace is giving someone what they don't deserve, right? That's the definition. And grace offends people because people don't deserve it, right? I mean, when you don't deserve something, sometimes there's offense because they don't, they don't deserve what you're giving them. Now, remember what we talked about with religion, Religion is, if I do something, then I ought to get something in return, right? Religion is a form of what's called works righteousness, which means if I put in the work, then therefore I can achieve righteousness. Now think of it as a job. I mean, you clock in, you've agreed with your employer, you've said, hey, I'm going to put 40 hours in, I'm going to get this wage, you know, and therefore I go in and put my 40 hours in, I am obligated to receive something. I mean, right? They've made an agreement. They owe me my wage. I better get it or else, you know, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to get frustrated because I put the work in and you haven't upheld your end of the deal. And that's where grace kind of throws a, a, a wrench into things because when you approach God as this form of works righteousness, God, I've, I've put in the work, don't you see? I've read my Bible, I've shown up to church, I've followed you, I've done X, Y, and Z. Therefore, God, you are obligated to give me certain things. You're obligated not to offend me. You are obligated to give me the kind of life that I want, the paycheck that I would like, the family that I, I would really want. And 
not to upset my circumstances too much. You know, I'll take little ups and downs, but the big stuff, no. You know, like I didn't sign up for that. I put in the work, so therefore you are obligated to give me these things. And grace comes in and totally wrecks that paradigm. Because grace says that you don't deserve it, and therefore you haven't earned it. And it's a gift given by grace. Now, we like grace when it's given to us, right? Or we like it when we set the terms for grace, right? I mean, like, hey, listen, that person, yeah, they're good with grace. I, I like that. I like that person. I, I think they're okay getting a little grace. Them over there, not so much. You know, they cut me off in traffic. They gave me a nasty look. You know, they've been just angry at me for, I don't know, years, and I don't know why, but so they're not getting any grace. And so we like, to, we like grace when we're in control over it, when it's given to us or when we get to dictate who it goes to and who it doesn't. Why? Because of sin. Right? Ultimately, grace reveals our sin because sin at its heart is saying that I am God. My judgments are better than God's. They ought to take the form of God. And isn't this exactly what we see in Jonah? Is Jonah has this heart of saying, you know, I like grace. It's good, but they don't deserve grace. And think about why. He hates Nineveh. He hates Nineveh with a passion. Unless we be too judgmental against Jonah, you'd probably hate Nineveh just as much. I mean, Nineveh was ruthless. They're a superpower that went and pillaged, raped, killed, did horrendous things to his nation and to other nations. And they're left seemingly unchecked. I mean, who's, who's put their power in check? Nobody. And so Jonah is approaching this and saying, hey, that offends my sense of justice. I want justice I want them to answer for the crimes that they've committed. I want them to be guilty. Now, have you ever had somebody that's really offended? I mean, really offended. You're not like, you know, cut you off in traffic or said something mean to you. I mean, they've hurt you. They've wounded you deeply. Man, doesn't that cause something to rise up in you? I mean, it causes something deep inside of you to say, I want them to get what's coming to them. I, I, you know, I want them to suffer. I want them to hurt there's something in that, that, that desire for justice, and it's a sinful desire that rises up in us because of our brokenness. And it, it comes up, comes up in, in Jonah. And here's the problem, when our will classes with God's will. Because see, God has this knack of just not taking our side sometimes. Gosh darn it. Like he just, he seems to take his side and we, we're saying, God, just get on my side, why don't you? You know, seek things from my point of view. And God keeps saying, no, your point of view is broken. You need to see things from my point of view. And it's this, it's this balance when we feel we've been deeply wronged or deeply hurt. And God says, I've got a different way than your way. I've got a different plan than your plan. And it's what causes this deep anger in Jonah. Right? I mean, it, it leads, think about this. I mean, he responds like an infant. I mean, God shows mercy and he goes into this. It says it exceedingly displeased Jonah and it, he was angry. And then that anger, I mean, anger is irrational. Have you ever been in those states? I mean, when I was young, I was, I struggled with anger. Saw my parents fight a lot. And so, man, I was angry. And when you're angry, there's not a, ra a lot of rational thought that's going through your head. All you're doing is you're thinking of how can I bring up the most ammo for proving my point? <laughs> 
Like, I will do whatever it takes to show that I am right and you're wrong. You know, I'll bring up whatever, you know, excuse that's going to validate me. I'll bring up whatever dirt I have on you. I mean, anger totally ceases rationality. And so you see it, and it, it's this emotional spectrum that he goes from being angry, from pouting, to then says, forget it. I don't care. I don't care. And that's what you see with anger a lot of times is that people will engage in this, you know, active aggression and then this passive withdrawal. What I don't, I don't care. Fine. Do whatever. Do you. You, you do you. I'm going to do me. But you see, it leads to this depression in Jonah. And it leads to this, fine, if I'm not going to get my way, what point is there anymore? What, what point? I, I have no point. I shouldn't even live. I might as well just take my life. But he, he's learned he can't take his life. He tried that already and didn't work. He was like, he threw himself overboard and got appointed a fish to swallow him. And so Jonah's at the point where he realizes my life's not my own. And so he's like, I've got to ask God to even die. And so he asked God, he says, all right, God, listen, I can't kill myself. So would you just kill me? Because I'm tired of this. I, I, you know, I'm, my way is not happening and I don't like your way. So let's just end it. And and so you see, grace is so offended his sense of justice that it's led him on this spectrum of emotionality where he is just, he's angry and then he is depressed. And sometimes we see this in our, in our life when we've been deeply wounded and we want the justice that we think is right. We think that God, you ought to punish this person. You ought to take these things from this person. What happens when God doesn't? What happens when God shows grace and God shows mercy? What happens when the person that, that has hurt you, God actually does something good in their life? God bestows them mercy or that they, they get a promotion or they get extra income. What happens, what, what's going on in our heart? Is our heart inwardly attacking them, validating all the reasons why they shouldn't have gotten that and we should have? You see, God's, God's grace, it still offends. God is far more inviting and inclusive than we want to be. And we see this, man, we see this in Jesus' ministry. This is the exact same thing that pushed off the Pharisees, is that Jesus comes and, and he's a friend of tax collectors, of sinners, of drunkards. And they say, don't you, listen, you're a prophet. You should know holy people don't hang around those kinds of people. Jesus says, these are the kind of people that, that share the brokenness. They, they realize their brokenness. There's a story in Luke 7. Jesus is in this Pharisee's house, and he's come to dine with him. And there is a, a woman of the town who's a sinner, likely a prostitute. And she comes in, and they didn't even acknowledge Jesus. They didn't wash his, his feet. They didn't, you know, and, and make the normal invitation in. And this woman comes in, and she knows who Jesus is, and she falls down and she washes his feet with her tears and she dries it with her hair. And the Pharisees think in the back of mind, if Jesus knew who this woman was, if he knew, only knew, he would have nothing to do with her. And Jesus turns and he tells him his parable and he says, there was a man, a money lender. One person owed him 50, the other 200. He forgave both people their debts. Who, who loved him more? And he said, I suppose the one who, who had the greater debt. And he says, he who is forgiven little loves little. He who is forgiven much loves much. Now, I don't think Jesus in that moment was saying particularly that, that he was less of a sinner and had less sin because actually in some ways his sin was far greater self-righteousness and pride, things that were hidden that could be 
you know, easily, you know, put a facade up, put a mask on and hidden underneath far more uh, damning sins. But Jesus is saying those that realize their own brokenness, they love much. And you see Jonah, Jonah's blinded to this because he's so set on his will, on in his sense of justice that he's not able to see his own brokenness, his own sin. I remember I was uh, sitting down with a, a lady that, uh, that wasn't a Christian and was wanting to talk about the gospel. She was wanting to, to unpack Christianity, understand it a little bit more. And we were sitting down and, and discussing and I was explaining, you know, the wages of sin is death, that because of our rebellion against God, there's a death that must be paid. And, and that sin separates us from God. And that, and that we see that in our lives. You know, that's, that's, we see that, that this inward bent in us towards evil, it, it happens in our relationships, that we have this inward selfishness or dependency. And, and that because of that, there's a debt that must be paid. And so we either pay that debt or God pays that debt. That we will stand before God and God will require that debt from us and that will be eternal separation from him in hell or, or we will accept the debt, that, that, the, the forgiveness that has been paid for us by Christ and that is grace. I remember this, this woman, she, she understood that the justice part, you know, that because there is sin, because there is brokenness, there has to be a remedy for it. The thing that really stuck her though was, was grace. Why? So you're, you're telling me that someone that's done evil their whole life, that on their deathbed, they can truly repent and they can ask for forgiveness and God would forgive them? How is that right? How is that fair? How could God do something like that? That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. I can't, I can't get on board with that. And grace offended her sense of justice that someone has done something like that and therefore they ought to be held accountable. They ought to... To, to have justice enforced to them. And they weren't able, she wasn't able to understand the grace of God that would punish his own son in order that justice would be met and grace would be able to be bestowed. And so one of the things we learned from, from Jonah is this first point is that grace often offends our sense of justice because our, in our sin, we want vengeance. We want our sense of justice rather than God's. The second thing we see is that grace reveals our sinful hypocrisy. Grace reveals our sinful hypocrisy. So God is like a master surgeon. You know, first grace offends us. And I don't know if you have, but I promise you, if you, grace is going to offend you if you are following Jesus. There are going to be times in your life where, where God's grace towards someone or, or in a situation, it's going to offend you. And what is God doing in that? God is 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 cutting open and then he's doing something else is that he's revealing he's opening up that he might disclose like a surgeon opens up a cut and then reveals the problem of what's really going on god does that and we see this in in jonah jonah's angry god asks him a question do you do well to be angry and just i'm of course i'm i I do well to be angry and he gives him an illustration you know, God is the master parable giver. And so he does a real life parable with Jonah is that Jonah is hot and he makes a booth. And apparently the booth was not up to par because, you know, he was still cooking in the heat. And so God allows this plant to grow up overnight and it casts shade over Jonah. And it says, Jonah was exceedingly glad. 
He was very happy for the plants. The plant brought him great joy. And, uh, and then God said, okay, you're happy about the plants. He appoints a worm to go and eat the plants. And then Jonah gets extremely upset again. And God says, you know, do you do well to be angry? And we have Jonah go off his rant. Of course I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Just kill me now. You took my plant from me. You know, I don't have anything left. And so Jonah, Jonah is, is extremely, extremely angry. And listen, I'm sure it was hard. I mean, it's hot out there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's warm. I, we live in Florida, so we should know this, okay? I mean, I just had, I had an experience. So I'm sympathizing with Jonah real quick because my AC broke down, and I was stuck in the heat for a couple days. And so I'm sitting there in the heat, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, whoo, you know, God, I'm thankful for your grace of AC. Like, that's a good gift. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful. You can bring that gift back. Uh, and so after two days, you know, thankfully it wasn't a big thing, and the AC returned. And I was very, I was exceedingly glad for the AC. Um, and so I can, you know, we, we think of that with Jonah, but, but what's God doing in this, in this parable? God is, is revealing Jonah's sinful hypocrisy, Right? Jonah cares more about a plant than he does people. He's more excited about his own comfort than he is people's salvation. And here's the thing. Jonah wouldn't have seen that if he wasn't engaged in the mission God called him to. Jonah thought he was fine. He thought his relationship with the Lord was all good. It was only until God called him into the mission that he had for him did Jonah begin to realize his own brokenness. And so you and I, oftentimes, we're, we think we're okay. We think we're doing just fine. We don't see the hypocrisy. We don't see the brokenness in us until we actually do what God tells us to do, until we actually start obeying him, engaging in his mission. And you see what happens in that is that when Jonah engages in God's mission, God is gracious enough to begin to re- reveal his own hypocrisy. And that's what God's going to do with us is that as we engage in his mission, God reveals our hypocrisy and why. God, I mean, for me, that was the big thing is that I, I remember my junior year, I had been playing with God. I'd said, all right, God, you know, I go, to, I go to church camp and I'd get on fire for Jesus. And then, you know, midway through basketball season, I'd be like, yeah, you know, I like the party scene a little bit. You know, I'll come back to you in summertime. And so I've been playing, I've, I've been playing this game with God. And, and finally, you know, sometimes he speaks to us and whispers. Sometimes he just takes a, a sledgehammer and hits us beside the head. You know, it's a sledgehammer time. And he just hit me upside the head and said, listen, if I am who I say I am, there's nothing worth living for outside of me. Everything else that you live for is vain. It's futile. It's empty. And so he really hit that into my soul. And I said, all right, God, like I'm going to start living for you. I'm going to start, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in. And then what did God brought suffering into my life and he revealed my brokenness. I mean, it's like after that, I had my best friend die. My mom got cancer. My, my aunt had, you know, a double stint in her heart. I mean, I, like, I just, all this suffering started happening in my life. And I'm like, God, I just said I was going to live for you. I mean, like, why did you decide that I needed this? I think a big part of it was, is because he was revealing my own brokenness, my lack of faith, and my need for him. Is that as you and I, as we engage in the mission of God, God is gracious enough to make us dependent upon him, is that he reveals our need for his grace, that we can't do the mission without him, that we need him desperately to change our heart because without him, we are like Jonah. All of us, 
You know what the Jews do at Yom Kippur? They read the book of Jonah and they say, we are Jonah. We are Jonah. And I hope that this time that we don't, we don't look at Jonah and we're and are judgmental against him, but instead we look at Jonah and we think, and we see ourselves in his story. Is that we see that, you know, we're more concerned about our income than we are about our coworkers knowing the wealth of Christ. That we're more concerned about our, our comfort at times than we are about the, the discomfort and the pain of our neighbors that need to know the hope of Jesus. There are so many ways in which we we care so much more about ourselves. And we, listen, we love grace for us. God, please, as soon as something goes wrong in our life, we're, we're, we're quick to cry out for grace, right? God, you know, like, please, you know, something, something goes wrong with our health, something goes wrong with our job, something's off in our family, and we're quick to cry out to God, God, please give grace. But yet there's, there's a broken world that's right around us. That God, and listen, it's not that we're taking on the whole world. God just says, listen, I've put people right in your neighborhood. Like they literally live next to you. <laughs> I put people that are your coworkers that you brush shoulders with every single day. I've put people right in your path and you're not broken for them. Your heart is, doesn't share the same eagerness and urgency that it shares for itself. He said, that's, that's hypocrisy. And we ask and we cry out that God, that you would change our hearts, that you would give us your heart, that we would have the same sense of urgency and need for grace for them as we feel for ourselves. The last thing that we see is that grace displays God's heart of compassion. Grace displays God's heart of compassion. One of the main words that you see in this, there's, there's two kind of big words that pop out for me when you read John chapter four. One is appointed and the other one is pity. Appointed and pity. Is it three times it talks about how God appointed these things to happen in Jonah's life. God a, a, appointed that there would be a plant to, to grow up to provide comfort for him. God then appointed a worm to come up and eat it. And then God appointed a wind in the sun to rain down on Jonah's head so that he would experience it. And so we see that, man, God is gracious to put circumstances in our life that will reveal our brokenness and lead us to trust in him. Have you seen that? Are you wasting the circumstances that God is bringing into your life? Because it's easy for us to waste the circumstances that God gives us for us not to see his hand teaching us in those circumstances. And so we see in Jonah's life is that these circumstances are on accident, that they're not random, that God is orchestrating these things to teach us. And so for us, the question is, God, what would you have me to learn? What would you have me learn? How can I submit underneath these things and grow and, and listen? God is the great teacher. And so he, he teaches us. But the second thing is, the second word is, is pity. Is it, God says, you pity yourself because of the plant. And yet you're mad at me because I pity this great city that has 120,000 people that don't even know me, that know nothing of me. I want to read it. It says, and, well, I want to read first. Jonah knows who God is. He says, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. 
That phrase is used 11 times. That exact phrase is used 11 times in the Old Testament. And it's one of the markers for God's covenant faithfulness to his people. It was something that was the hallmark of who God is, of his character, that he is slow to anger, gracious and patient, not desiring that any should perish. It goes on, it says, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Remember, grace is giving somebody something they don't deserve. And grace reveals God's heart of compassion that he, God loves both a city that is in the midst of its sin and rebellion, that wants nothing to do with God and says, God, we're better out without you. God loves that city. God loves those people, those that run away from God. And so should we. We should not be afraid to invite and open up our homes to people that have radically different viewpoints than us and engage in loving conversation with them. How else were we changed? How else were we saved except for someone inviting us into relationship, being secure enough in their identity in Christ to invite those kinds of relationships? But God also loves the self-righteous, racist bigots that Jonah is, and he has a plan for him. Because think about it, I mean, Jonah is. Jonah is racist and he's a bigot because he thinks that because he's a Jew, his people are inherently better than the Assyrians and his, he is morally superior than the Assyrians. Therefore, he is more deserving of grace than they are. And so God also loves and is grace for the racist bigot and desires his reconciliation and him to come back. Do you see how inclusive God is? And how his his inclusivity sometimes offends our sense of justice. And so grace reveals God's heart of of compassion. And it's this grace that changes us. It says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. One of our greatest downfalls is that we make light of sin. When you make light of sin in your life, you make light of grace in your life. And what I mean by that is that we, get, we talked about the parable. When you don't think that you have sinned much, then you don't think you've been forgiven of much. And then grace no longer becomes a very strong motivator in your life. And therefore, you don't show grace very powerfully in your life. You want to know how you can show grace to the people that have offended you the most? Get serious about your sin. Get serious about the consequences and about the effects of your sin in your life. When your personal holiness is important, your ability to show grace to others is going to be magnified immensely. Because our ability to show grace is directly reflected to our understanding of how we received grace. And so we have to take sin seriously because it is the it is the foundation of understanding the magnitude of God's grace and the power to show grace in other people's lives. And that's what changes the world. That's what changes our hearts. Is I know for me, man, it's the things that have transformed my heart the most have been in these moments where I, I'm alone with the Lord and I'm still, and God shows me my brokenness. He's shown me in areas where I have been apathetic and different how I've been selfish and broken, how I've pursued things that don't matter to him. But yet, even in the midst of showing me my brokenness, he then reaffirms his love for me 
he reaffirms his pursuit of my heart that he's not done with me, that even though I am broken, he will still use me and redeem me, that that changes me, that motivates me because it says that it's not about me, it's about him and it's about what he can do in me, not about my faults and failures, my lack of ability to perform. It's about how great he is and that motivates and changes. That's what the world so desperately needs to hear. That's what you need. That's what your neighbors need. And so we have to, we have to take sin seriously because then grace will be magnified in our lives. I want to give an illustration of this. In October 2nd, 2006, Charles Robert walked into an Amish schoolhouse and shot 10 young girls, killing five, wounding five. Now, the backstory, Charles Roberts was a milkman, and he delivered milk for about nine years on this route. Now, much earlier in his life, he had, he had two sons, and he had had a daughter, and his daughter died 20 minutes after being born. And he harbored that resentment, harbored that anger against God for these many years, and that created a... a a vengeance, a desire for justice to get right. And he was so angry at God that he felt that he needed to take it out. And so on that morning, after kissing his sons goodbye, he got and drove in, pulled out a gun and told the teachers to get out, told the boys to get out. And he tied up all 10 girls and had them face backwards. And as the police came, he told the girls that I have to get even with God. He took my girl, and so I'm going to take him. I'm going I'm to take his girls. And so he then shot 10 of them before killing himself and taking his own life. Now, as you can imagine, such a tragic shooting attracted national attention, and the media swarmed to this. Now, if you know anything about the Amish, they take very seriously the teachings of Jesus, but they also have intentionally secluded themselves in order to form a more harmonious community where people would seek to live simply, live plainly, and, uh, and embrace this idea of love for one another. And in the midst of this tragedy, their response, I think, displays God's heart that we see in Jonah. Is that that very night, the parents of Charles Robert, who was 32, uh, the, the mo- mother got a call from her husband and went over to the house to find out that it was her son that had perpetrated such a horrendous crime. And her first thought is, we have to move. We have to leave. We can't be in this place. And one of the first things that the Amish did was that they went to their house. They went to the house of the parents that had, whose son had killed their, their children. And they went to them and they pleaded with them to stay, to remain in the city. Not only that, but, but parents of not one, but two girls that had been slaughtered, they attended the funeral of Charles Robert. And they were the first ones to go and to express their condolences and express their sadness to Charles's widow and to his parents as they expressed their forgiveness and their grace to them. And now this isn't, they're still processing this. This isn't, oh, well, it's all done. They've received counseling and processing. But, but I think a big part of it is that they, the Amish took sin seriously. And because of that, they understood grace. And therefore, they forgave. 
I think one of the most amazing stories that's come out of this is that there was a uh, 13-year-old girl that was shot and, and seriously wounded, and she will live forever with that wound. But the Amish have opened up their home to Charles Roberts' mother, and they invited her to come and to build a relationship with this young girl. And Charles Roberts' mom now meets consistently with this young woman and helps her to face her her struggle, and the Amish family welcomes her into their home, into their home, and, and, and is intimate and has a relationship with them. And this is what grace is. This is what grace can do, is that grace can reconcile and can redeem and can heal even the worst of things. And this is the heart of God, is that it's not easy, but when we receive it, when we truly receive it, it will enable us to show it. And so as we close the book of Jonah, as we close in prayer and we begin our worship, I just my, my challenge for you is threefold. One, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you haven't received the grace of God, my invitation for you is that you receive it, is that you believe that your sin is truly worthy of death and separation from God, that if you, if you don't believe that your sin truly separates you, if you don't see your sin, cry out to God and ask him, God, show me my sin. Show me my brokenness. Help me to feel the weight of it. But then realize that God loves you. He, not just you generally, but you personally. He knows you and he died for you. And believe that. Receive the grace of God in your own life. The second thing is I would ask is, who in your life needs to receive grace? Who is it that has offended you? Who is it that that has wronged you, has harmed you, and that God wants to set you free and to set them free by bestowing grace, giving them something that they don't deserve. They don't deserve it. They never will. Giving them grace. Who is it that God would use you to give grace to in your life? And the third thing is, what does it look like to be concerned for the salvation of those that are right around us? What does it look like for you to be someone that gives grace in your neighborhood? that gives grace in your workplace, that opens up your home, not maybe not for someone that shot your child or that's been impacted by that, but maybe it's someone that has hurt you at work or maybe it's a, it's a neighbor that you don't get along with. What does it look like to open your home? Because that's the means of change and that is what will change this community and change the city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the book of Jonah, for how it reveals that we are like him, God, and that we care oftentimes so much more for our own comfort, our own grace than we do others. And so please, God, give us your heart. We cry out, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would fall upon us, and that you would enable us to receive your grace and therefore to reflect it, to show it, God. Help us, God, please help us to mourn our sin and to to rejoice in your love for us. Use this message, God, and I pray that it would spread, that we wouldn't just hear it, but that we would share it with our neighbors, with our friends, God, that, that, that we would be good stewards of the words that you entrust us to, God. We love you and we praise you. Help us continue to worship you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.